as we come and look at God's word to us this morning. Lord, give us your heart, we ask. Give us hearts that are responsive to hear from you. And Lord, I want to pray as we come and we look at your word on this Remembrance Day, that you will really be encouraging us this morning to grow in Christ-likeness. Lord, would you do a transforming work in us today, we ask. For Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Amen. If you've got a Bible in front of you, if you want to turn to Matthew, we're sort of doing a, a slightly odd reverse sermon series the last two weeks. John picked up, I think, was it the end of this passage last week? So I'm now working backwards and we're picking up the first of it. And we hadn't planned it. So maybe just that God wants to speak to us through this chapter. And I've also got a bigger print version this morning, you'll be glad to know, that I'm reading from. So I'll hopefully be able to read it correctly. So Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. About 20 years ago, I was in this place. If we could just have the... Oh, here we go. This place. Anybody want to tell me where that is? Matlock Bath. You've got to say Beryl should know. I think, is it your daughter owns a chip shop there? Is that right? Um, Matlock Bath in Derbyshire. Now, that, there's nothing particularly exciting about being in Matlock Bath 20 years ago. With Claire, we'd just started going out and we'd gone out for the day. But there was a problem. I was meant to be here. Now, I wasn't actually meant to be getting married, don't worry. <laughs> Nor was I taking the wedding, but I was playing the organ, or meant to be, for somebody's wedding. And I had forgotten. <laughs> and I had gone out for the day. Now, 20 years ago, there were no mobile phones, or that, that there were with this sort of size, and you didn't tend to take them with you. I was out of contact, and I got home at 11 o'clock that evening to some rather irate messages from a minister trying to get hold of me, saying, you have forgotten to play for a wedding. <laughs> Thankfully, somebody else stood in right at the last minute, so it wasn't quite the disaster that it could have been. But I don't have a very good memory. I'm, I write myself to-do lists. I sometimes forget to read them. I sometimes forget to write them. I sometimes double book because I just have forgotten something that I was meant to be doing. But when you make a catastrophe like that, you very quickly learn ways of making yourself remember significant things. If you're planning on getting married here, do not worry, I would not forget your wedding. 
But today is all about remembering, isn't it? It's about remembering those who have lost their lives in war. It's about remembering the suffering of the present. And it's about remembering what Jesus did for us in dying on the cross. And a lot of our faith as Christians is about remembering, isn't it? What do we say at communion? The words of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. Retell the story. Keep telling the gospel story. Tell the story of what Jesus did when he died, rose again. Look forward to that time when he's coming back. We know remembrance on its own, just remembering things, doesn't do a great deal unless it actually changes you. I can look back and I can laugh at that story. I couldn't at the time. (laughs) It really shook me up about my way of being disorganized. But it led to transformation. It had to. Otherwise, there'd have been a stream of people whose weddings I would have forgotten to play for. So remembering is a really important thing, but it needs to lead to transformation. We've been thinking about our world today. We've been thinking about all the different conflicts that are going on. We look at Syria, we look at Afghanistan, we look at the problems with ISIS, and there is so much tension across our world. We can bring it down to our own country, can't we? You know, we we live at sort of peace in terms of we're not in armed conflict with one another. But is our country free from conflict and tension? I don't think so at all. You know, you only need to look at the the politics of this country and the fragmentation of our society to see that we are a country who is in deep conflict with one another. And it can be so easy when we look at conflict to think, well, apart from praying, which obviously is incredibly significant, I can't do anything. I can't do anything about world conflict. And apart from pray, and I don't want to belittle that at all, but you're probably right in thinking you can't do anything other than pray. World leaders struggle to bring peace in areas of the world because it is such a difficult thing to do. But, you know, then I look at Jesus' ministry and I see how he related to conflict in the world and to people. Did Jesus ever challenge Rome? Rome, the big empire of the day that was always fighting on its borders. Did he ever challenge it? No, he didn't. He didn't go round trying to bring huge amounts of change to those big political structures. Did he ever really go and try and overthrow the Jewish religious elite? No. What was he interested in? He was interested in transformation by the gospel message, one heart at a time. Transformation, one heart at a time. You know, last week, John was looking at the, the latter part of this passage where it talks about being salt and light, where we're called to be light and salt in the world, to show Jesus to people. And the Beatitudes, the bit that precedes that, the bit that we've been reading this morning, is the start of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' transformational teaching about how the gospel changes people, about what it does when we have accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, how we become. And these eight sayings of Jesus, these blessed be, and then whatever comes after it, are so contrary, aren't they, to what constitutes most of our thinking in today's world. Who would ever say you're blessed when you mourn? You wouldn't say that. You just would not say that. Who would say a blessed person is somebody who's meek, sort of self-effacing? You wouldn't say that either in the standards of the world. But in this chapter, Jesus goes up the mountain and he goes to speak to his disciples. Now, mountains. Remember, Moses went up Mount Sinai to give the law and to receive the law from God. But here, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, goes up the mountain to show us something quite different. Something totally different. Because we don't read the Beatitudes to condemn us. This is not law. 
This is about living a life that is transformed by grace. This is about living a life that is transformed by Jesus. Luther, the great reformer, said, Christ is saying nothing in this sermon about how we become Christians, but only about the works and fruit that no one can do unless he's already a Christian and in a state of grace. So this is all about the radical transformation of the human heart when we've accepted Jesus, when Jesus is Lord and Saviour. It's not tinkering around the edges. Anybody a chocoholic this morning? A few guilty hands going up. Anybody really into Cadbury's fruit and nut? Anybody heard the devastating news this week? They're changing the recipe of fruit and nut. Apparently up until now, it's only been raisins that have been deemed worthy enough to enter the Cadbury's fruit and nut bars, but now sultanas are being allowed in. Do we have any raisin merchants in church this morning? (laughs) And now, if you were a seller of raisins, you'd be telling me that raisins are far more expensive than sultanas. So Cadbury's have gone for the cheaper option and started putting sultanas in. Apparently, 90% of people can't tell the difference, but who knows? You'll all be going out this afternoon and trying that out and seeing if you can do it. But to me, that is transformation, tinkering around the edges. The real transformation of a fruit and nut bar would replace chocolate with concrete. Now, that would be real transformation. But the kind of transformation that Jesus talks about in the human heart is a transformation on a big scale. It's massive. It's a transformation that the gospel brings about one life at a time when Jesus, by his spirit, works in the heart of a human being. Look at the words that he says in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. Now, the exact translation of that word blessed here is about transcendent happiness. Happiness that comes from God. Happiness that God looks down and sees in us when we are the kind of people he wants us to be. Now, we're not talking about the kind of happiness that happens in human experience. You know, you may wake up tomorrow morning and the sun may be out. It may be. (laughs) And you may feel happy because the sun is out. That is a subjective happiness. It's happiness that's dependent on experience. On the 18th of November, you will wake up in raptures because you realize that Neto is opening its doors for the first time. <laughs> that feeling will quickly pass. <laughs> but those are subjective happiness things. They're the things that bubble up inside us because of an event that's taken place. But look at what's going on here. Jesus is not saying it's that kind of happiness. He's saying this is how God views people when they are in this state. Happy are those who are broken. That sounds totally upside down, doesn't it? God sees people who are broken before him and said, that is a blessed place to be. When we come to God with our hands open and realize we have nothing to give him, when we realize that our our lives without Jesus are just broken and heading in the wrong direction, and we are in need, desperate need, of his grace and mercy. You know, if we read these verses and we think, oh, sort of, you know, bad Christian, must try harder, must try and be broken before God, must try and be a peacemaker, must try and be meek, we won't do it. We will not do it. But if we come to these verses and say, actually, Lord, by your grace, will you help me to have this kind of character? Now, I believe God will be faithful to his word, and God will bring about that kind of transformation. And so Jesus continues through these beatitudes, these blessed sayings. And each one, if you look at them, is characterized by humility, godliness, a desire to put God first, And each one is not just an aspiration, but it comes with a promise. You notice how, I think it's the middle six of them, all have a future tense promise after them. When you're this, you will become this. 
There's a promise of the Lord. Well, on a day that is characterized by remembering and thinking about conflict, I want to sort of forward winders down. We haven't got time to look at all these Beatitudes this morning, but look down at verses 8 and 9. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place of conflict. Yeah, we've been remembering war today. Now, war is, if you like, the, the horrendous outcome of human conflict. You know, when people take up machines and start killing one another. That is the, the awful end of human conflict. But sadly, human conflict starts in far more subtle ways and ways that I'm afraid most of us, in fact, not all of us, will experience. You know, conflict starts in the office. Conflict starts in the kitchen. Conflict, if you've got children, starts when you're trying to get them to do their homework. Conflict, sadly, takes place in church. Conflict takes place between friends. Conflict takes place between us and our neighbours. A number of years ago, Claire and I lived next door to somebody who, um, in the most charitable terms, I can only describe as being rather disagreeable. And... I did everything I possibly could to get on the right side of this particular person. Now, he wasn't too bad with me. He would be more or less civil. But to Claire, he would be really, really offensive. He would swear. He'd be rude. He'd be just really objectionable, and often in front of the children as well. And it got to a point where you're sort of thinking, what more can I do? I tried being cheerful. I tried being pleasant. I tried confronting it head-on and saying, what's the problem? That didn't go down well at all. I tried talking subtly, none of it seemed to work. And when we eventually moved from that house, we drove away with a huge sense of relief that actually that conflict was being left behind. I'll come back to that in a moment. But we read verse 9, and it said, blessed are the peacemakers. But before then, it says, blessed are the pure in heart. And I think if we want to say blessed are the peacemakers, we need to look at our own hearts first. Because you can't be a peacemaker unless you've got a pure heart. God's heart for us is to have godly desires. God's heart for us is is to have pure desires that resonate with him. Where do we find out what God's desires are? Go on, you can shout these out. Really obvious answer. It's nothing complicated. In the Bible, thank you. Get into our Bibles and we find out what God's desires for us are. We find out what God's heart is for us to be like. We find out what God's heart is for his people to be like. And we need to start there. We need to get into his word. We need to see the promises of God. See what a life transformed by the Holy Spirit looks like. And you notice what it says in these verses here. The person with the pure heart, they will see God. The person with the pure heart will see God. Now, I'm not talking about seeing as in visual seeing. But they will see the tangible evidence of God at work. They will see God doing things in their own lives and in the lives of people around them. But before we can become a peacemaker, we need to have those pure intentions. We need to have God's desires, the things of the kingdom, on our hearts. Why is that so important? Well, as a peacemaker, there is no guarantee of success. If you're in a place of conflict and you're being godly and you want to be the person of peace, there is no guarantee of success. But that doesn't mean you have failed. You know, when I was talking about this situation with our neighbor, you know, I'd really sought God about it. I had prayed... And I had sought the Lord, and I did everything that I could possibly do. Yet this person didn't respond. You know, I'm not responsible for his actions. He's responsible before the Lord as to how he's reacted. 
But I'm accountable before the Lord in terms of how I have reacted and whether I have been the peacemaker. Yet only God can change other people's hearts. You see, what Jesus isn't doing here, he's not trying to make us guilty, he's not trying to blame us, he's simply showing us the ways of being like him and how to reflect Jesus to the world. And in fact, we can't often measure success by earthly markers. We can't often do that. You know, when Jesus was speaking to people, he often would say that, you know, when we live out a gospel life, when we're following Jesus, it will not often bring success on a worldly level. Look at what it says in Matthew 10. 34 to 36. Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come in turn, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And you know, when one person is trying to live like Jesus, it sometimes will bring tension. But if we're being godly, Jesus will still be working through us if we're obedient to him. The important question is, do we have God's heart? Hebrews 12, verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Or Romans 12, verse 18, if it is possible, and here's the key thing, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you reflect Jesus. As far as it depends on you, be the peacemaker. I want you to think about, for a moment, about an area of conflict in your life. Now, that might be at work. It might be with your family. It might be with your friends. If you haven't got an area of conflict in your life at the moment, you are incredibly fortunate. I can think of several areas in my life where there's conflict. Just think about those. Just just close your eyes for a moment. Just think about those areas. Right, you can open your eyes again. But just keep thinking that, you know, the reality is we live in a world that is wrecked by sin. We live in a world that is divided by conflict. I really just want to ask you, you know, are you prepared to take Jesus at his word this morning and ask him to enable you to be a peacemaker, to be a person of reconciliation? Will we turn remembering into transformation? Will we come to Jesus and say, Lord, it's not enough just for me to be a person who remembers conflict, but to be a person who, in reflecting Jesus where I am, brings about transformation? Because that is just what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jesus, through the cross and resurrection, what has he done? He has reconciled us to God. He has made peace through the cross so that we can be friends with God. And he's called us to live out that same ministry of reconciliation in our lives. Now, we live in a a country, and I think in the Western world in particular, we can say this is probably true, where 
Christianity is getting increasingly sidelined. And people have not just got slightly you know, antipathy towards Christianity. There is, there is a growing sense of hostility. And there's a report that came out this week, um, and it's a report that the General Synod of the Church of England, the Evangelical Alliance, and HOPE had commissioned. And it was a report on evangelism. And in this report, it said that only a third of the people in this country could name that they had a Christian friend. That's only a third of the population. Of that third, only 18% of those people actually wanted to know anything more about their friend's faith. So I'm not very good at maths, but if anyone can work that out, you can shout it out. A third, 18% of a third. Anyone quick? 12, 13%. There we go. So 12, 13% of the population in this country have any desire to hear more about Christianity. Now, we can react about that by feeling a deep sense of regret. Because this country used to be nominally far more Christian than it is today. That people actually don't have that interest in the good news. Or we can think, hold on a minute. What a massive opportunity. You know, in the darkness, light shines more brightly. In the twilight, if you put a light on, it's not that easy to see it. Whereas as soon as it's gone dark, the lights shine all over the place. You know, last, uh, tonight, uh, I wonder how many people would be in a sense of mourning because it's the last episode of Downton Abbey. <laughs> Anybody going to be particularly sad about that? A few hands going up here and there. But I was just thinking back to, to this country 100 years ago and thinking how things have changed in that time period. Now, 100 years ago, over 60% of children were welcomed and christened into the Church of England. 60%. And then there was a significant number baptized into the other denominations and dedicated into the Baptist Church and whatever. It was a significant proportion of society. Now that figure has collapsed. You know, the, the sort of the nominal Christianity that perhaps there was 100 years ago has largely gone. And The Guardian, there was an article written in The Guardian following up on this report, and it actually said that the problem for many Christians now is that we start getting embarrassed talking about Jesus because it's disjointed with our society. You know, when, when it's normal to talk about something, it's easy to open a conversation. You know, it's easy to talk about the Rugby World Cup if you're into rugby, and particularly if you're from New Zealand. It's easy to talk about politics, about child tax credits. You know, we, we're in that place where those kind of things can be opened up. But the minute we start to talk about Jesus, people don't expect it. People don't know how to react to it. But there was a thing in that report that really stuck with me this week. And at the bottom of this article in The Guardian, somebody had just written this. They said, don't talk to me about Jesus. Show me Jesus. Don't talk to me about Jesus. Show me Jesus. What are the Beatitudes about? They're about character of a person transformed by grace. How will people see the salt and light that we're called to be in the world? Well, obviously we have to talk. We have to share with, with words. But often it's the way we react when there is conflict at the photocopier machine. It's how we react when there is that dispute about the fence in the garden. It's how we react when somebody comes aggressively towards us. It's do we react as the peacemaker? Do we react as the person who reflects Jesus? Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you want transformation this morning to be more like Jesus? Do you want that kind of transformation? 
Do you want to reflect and radiate Jesus? Do you want to be salt and light? Jesus has promised that the kingdom of heaven doesn't go to those who go with the cultural flow. He never said, you know, if you feel embarrassed about me, that's great. You know, just go along with it. No. He calls for radical transformation. For lives that are transformed by grace. For those who know that they're poor in spirit and of ourselves, we've got empty hands. But we've got everything through Christ who strengthens us. So today, I really want to ask you, this Remembrance Day, will you come to Jesus again broken? Not just people who remember, but people who say, Lord, will you help me to be a transformative person? Will you help me to reflect Jesus to a world who desperately needs a saviour? Will you help me to be the person who reflects Jesus in those places of conflict that I see in my life today? And will you help me to be the peacemaker? Is there a guarantee of success on earthly terms? Well, Jesus doesn't say so. But what does he say? If you've got the passage in front of you, look at it again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. They will be called children of God. When we're those people, Jesus looks at us and says, they are the blessed ones. question is, will we want the Spirit to change us to be those kind of people? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we live in a world that is fraught by conflict, by suffering. And you call us in the midst of all this to be peacemakers. I Lord, I want to thank you that that isn't something that we have to strive to do in our own strength, but that is something that we will do when we are changed by you. So Lord, I want to pray right now that your spirit will be, be challenging, will be comforting, will be encouraging us. And Lord, that you will be helping us to become those people that you want us to be. And Lord, we thank you that this saying of blessed be the peacemakers comes with that amazing promise that we are your children. Lord, we thank you that when you call us, you are faithful to your own word. So Lord, we ask that today, by your spirit, you will do something new in us. Lord, help us to be lights glistening brightly in the ever-increasing darkness. Lord, so that until you return, we will be faithful in proclaiming Jesus to a world desperately in need of a saviour. Lord, help us to be not just people of remembrance, but people of transformation. And we ask it for your sake. Amen.